We've had a really good weekend, at least I have. I hope you have, those of you who've been part of what we've been up to. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and work with this church. Uh, as Dan mentioned, we, we crossed paths a couple of times over the last few years, and I'm really grateful that uh, we've had this opportunity to do this. We're going to continue uh, with the, the kinds of things we'll be talking about, but of course in a very... Uh, different kind of genre this morning as we're talking about uh, sermons that speak to revitalization. So uh, we're coming to our second reading this morning. This will be the primary text for what I'm going to share with you today. And I'm reading from um, I'm reading from Luke chapter 19, the first 10 verses. I know it's in here. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to your word this morning in great expectation. Because this this word teaches us what we are to believe and how we are to live. It, it gives us a window into your heart, into your mind, that we might pattern our lives after the pattern of your son, Jesus. So, Father, we ask that over these next few minutes that you would truly speak to our hearts through your word, that we might be encouraged and strengthened, uh, that you would be pleased and glorified. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, perhaps you noticed in the reading from Ezekiel, there was a phrase where God the Father, who is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, says, there's, there's no one to search or seek for my sheep. They've been scattered. So this idea of scattered sheep and seeking and saving uh, didn't begin with Luke 19. It began hundreds of years before as the people of God were scattered and God himself was the one who would search and seek for that. And we see that through the prophet Ezekiel. Now, when we get into the New Testament era, a little bit closer to Luke 19, we come to Luke 15 and I want to share with you uh, the content of Luke chapter 15. Um, this chapter I refer to as the lost and found chapter. 
There are three parables in this chapter, and each speaks to something or someone uh, that was missing and is found. And I think you'll see that there's a theme that God the Father is developing through his word. That It's a thread that runs all through scripture and continues to this very moment. Now, the first of these parables is this. Jesus says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, I need to tell you, I was raised in the inner city. And when Jesus starts with these agricultural metaphors. I don't quite know where to put that. I don't want to be anywhere near a bunch of sheep. Okay? Well, I'm thinking to myself, though, what can a man do with a 100 sheep that he can't do with 99? Why is this such a big deal? Really? This seems like you're going to an awful lot of trouble and inconvenience for this one missing sheep. Now, you'll notice that he, he doesn't go down to Sheep Depot and just get another sheep. Like, I've got to have a nice even hundred in my flock. Because it's not about the number, right? It's about the fact that that particular sheep belongs in his flock. And that sheep is missing. And this man determines that it's worth the risk, it's worth the effort to leave the 99 to go find the one. And so he sets off. And of course, as the story unfolds, he finds the sheep. He calls for his friends to rejoice with him. They throw a party. And then all of a sudden, the story catapults into heaven. It's like, wow, that's a strange ending to the story. Uh, instead of saying something like, and the sheep and the shepherd lived happily ever after. It says that, you know, uh, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Well, wait a minute. I thought we were talking about sheep. Now we're talking about sinners. What's going on here? Well, flash back again to Ezekiel. At the beginning of that reading, God the Father is speaking about sheep. And then all of a sudden, this the passage says, and I will draw them out from the peoples and return them to their land. So we're not talking about sheep at all, right? We're talking about people. We're talking about people that are supposed to be in the family of God. But many of them remain missing. They haven't come in yet. And the question that I would like for you to think about this morning is this. How important are lost people to God? How important are missing people to God? Now, that brings us to the second parable, a little bit shorter. What woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? 
And when she is found that she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that was lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Same story, different context. Loses a coin, finds the coin, calls the friends, they throw a party. And once again, we're catapulted into heaven where we're told that the angels are rejoicing over one sinner who repents. Now, I tend to be a fairly practical person. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. If it's true that every single time a sinner repents, it triggers a party in heaven. How many times a day does this happen? You know, throughout the course of a typical 24-hour day, how many times is a party triggered in heaven? Say, once every hour, maybe, or once every minute, or every second? You know, I read recently that in India, over 6,000 people a day are coming into the faith. Now, what does that tell you about heaven? Party. There must be, you know, if heaven had time, it would be like a 24-7 party, 365 days of the year. Every single time, it triggers a celebration in heaven. It's just a glimpse of what we have in store down the line. Interesting. How important are missing people to God? Now, that brings us to the the third parable of Luke 15. I'm not going to read this whole thing because it's quite long. But uh, if you've been around the church for a while, you've, you've run across this parable. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. So what's going on here? Well, we have a young man who goes to his father. And essentially, he says to his father, I wish you were dead. Okay, how so? Well, he's asking for his inheritance. Now, when are you supposed to get an inheritance? Okay, you get the idea? Well, this young man can't wait. He wants it now. He could very easily be a, a 21st century American. He wants what he wants and he wants it now. Okay, so his father grants him this request. And we're told that he goes off to a, a far country and squanders his wealth and riotous living. And, you know, we can only imagine what that riotous living might have looked like. I would say that in today's world, it would probably be a reality show. Okay. Well, there's this beautiful, beautiful verse that in the middle of this story that Jesus is unpacking, he says this. But when he came to himself. Other versions of scripture would say when he came to his senses, he realized how much better off he was when he was with his father. And he determines to return to his father. Now, later in the story, we're told that the father saw him coming from a long ways off. Now, what's the picture that Jesus is painting here? Do you think that Jesus is painting a picture of a father that just happened to be 
out on the edge of the property that day, you know, maybe mending a fence or something like that, and looked up and happened to see his son. You know, I don't think that's the picture at all. I think the picture that Jesus is painting is of a father who day after day after day would go down to that road and look off into the horizon, hoping to see a little dot that got bigger and bigger and bigger and turned out to be his missing son. And on this particular day, that's exactly what happens. And so what do they do? Party. Robe, sandals, ring, fatted calf. Celebrate with me. Why? Because my son who was lost has been found. How important are missing people to God? Now, you might consider what I've shared thus far to be the longest sermon introduction in history. Because now we're all the way back to Luke 19, our primary text. Now, again, this is one of these texts that if you've been around the church for any length of time, you've heard about Zacchaeus multiple times, I'm sure. I was raised in the church. And I have sort of fuzzy memories as a child of being in the, I don't know, the nursery or the toddler department or whatever it was. And, and we had these posters on the wall, scenes from the Bible. And one of those posters depicted a small man up a tree, Zacchaeus. I think as a child, I, I probably thought of this as sort of a fairy tale. You know, Aesop's fables. But later in life, I I realized that no, this was not a fable. Zacchaeus was an actual person who lived a real life. And on this particular day, he had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that encounter was so significant that God included it in his word. And here we are, 2,000 years later, reading about Zacchaeus. You think Zacchaeus had any clue this was coming when he woke up that morning? Well, let's take a look at what's going on in Luke 19. It says here that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Okay, you know, I pass through places all the time. I drive from point A to point B and I pass through little towns and other cities. Nobody writes about it. You know, nobody said Ken was passing through. It's just incidental. It just happens to be between here and there. No big deal. What's so special about this? Jesus is passing through Jericho. Well, where is he going? He's going to Jerusalem. And why is he going to Jerusalem? Jesus Christ has a date with the cross that is just days away. And he knows what's coming. Now, in our theology, we understand that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. It's a little bit mysterious how all that works out. But that's what we understand theologically from scripture. Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. He's fully divine and he's fully human. 
Well, I'll have to tell you, when I think about Jesus, I tend to think about the divine Jesus more than I think about the man Jesus. Why is that? Well, see, I know lots of men, and none of them is divine. Trust me. (laughs) Jesus is the only one of the group that's divine. So that puts him in this whole other category. And so that's how I tend to think of Jesus Christ, the divine Savior of the world. But I want you to think for a moment about Jesus the man on this particular day. Jesus the man is walking through Jericho on route to the cross. He is about to assume on his shoulders the weight of the sins of all time. He is about to endure an excruciatingly painful death. He is about to be separated from God the Father and receive the undiluted wrath of God upon him with whom he's been in perfect fellowship since before time. Now, I want you to think about this. Wouldn't it be reasonable at this point to maybe give Jesus a little slack Like, what if he's not too chatty today? Maybe he's a little preoccupied. Maybe he's got something on his mind, right? I mean, that just seems logical to me. This man walking through town, weight of the world on his shoulders. Well, then we meet this gentleman called Zacchaeus. Well, what do we know about him? We're told he was a chief tax collector and we're told that he was rich. Well, what do we know about tax collectors of this day? Well, they were collaborators with the enemy. Rome had occupied Palestine. Zacchaeus, a Hebrew, was working for the Romans, extracting taxes from his own people, paying Rome its tribute, oh, and lining his pockets along the way. How do we suppose he became rich? Okay, Zacchaeus is not too popular among his Hebrew constituents. Okay, well, what do we know about the rich? Well, Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is all to say that Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is a man with problems. Okay, he's hated by his own people. And a camel has a better shot of getting through an eye of a needle than he does of getting to heaven. No party for Zacchaeus, you see. Now, we're told here that Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now, we don't know how that happened. We don't know how Zacchaeus knew about Jesus. We don't know how he knew that Jesus was passing through Jericho. Uh, but something was going on in the mind and the heart of Zacchaeus that day that compelled him to go and see Jesus. Now, I would like to think that perhaps the Spirit of God is beginning to move in Zacchaeus and he is coming to his senses like the prodigal son. But for whatever reason, however it happens, Zacchaeus goes down to the parade route where Jesus is coming through. But we're told that he couldn't see Jesus because he was short of stature. 
Now, I'd like to suggest to you that maybe Zacchaeus wasn't just short of stature. I think Zacchaeus is short on friends. Think about it. What happens at a parade? You know, you always have those people to get there early. You know, they get the seats right there on the curbing and they got the folding chairs and the blankets and those kinds of things. That never happens in my family. We're late to everything. You know, I don't know whatever happens at the beginning of anything. Okay. Well, you get there and it's two deep and three deep and then someone comes up behind you that's very small. And what do you tend to do? You scooch a little bit to the side so they can get up front and see. You see anybody letting Zacchaeus up front? I mean, in my mind's eye, I'm seeing these people lock arms. No way that tax collector's getting up here. Now, I think this is really wild. It says here that Zacchaeus ran ahead of the crowd. Question. When do you suppose is the last time Zacchaeus ran anywhere? And he climbs a tree. Again, when do you suppose is the last time Zacchaeus climbed a tree? I'm thinking this is rather aberrant behavior for this professional man. What is going on with Zacchaeus? Jesus is going on with Zacchaeus. Something is happening and Zacchaeus is so motivated. You know, I'm going to see Jesus. I don't care what it takes. Now, I get that. I get the fact that Zacchaeus, like many of us, is so miserable. He's looking for something. He's compelled to see Jesus. I get that. What's a little bit stranger to wrap your head around is why is Jesus so compelled to see him? You know, we get to this uh, point where Jesus comes to the tree. Here's Zacchaeus. Here's Jesus. And Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus and says, hurry and come down. And then he says this. He says, I must stay at your house today. It's a divine imperative that Jesus Christ spend the day at the home of Zacchaeus. And I just want to say, really? Jesus, cross, sins of the world, wrath of God. Don't you have like more important things to be thinking about? Why? And this of all people. And you know, in this culture... When you went to someone's house, it wasn't one of these, you know, 15 minutes with a shot of espresso at the kitchen counter. When you went to someone's home in this day, we're talking about hours of time that you're investing. And I just want to kind of grab Jesus by the shoulders and shake him and say, what are you doing? You don't have time for this. Why this distraction? Why this detour? Let's move on to Jerusalem. But we see that Jesus goes to the home of Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus is undergoing a life transformation. And we're watching this. It's right before our eyes. He says this. He says, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Well, yesterday, Zacchaeus was extracting money from the poor. 
Today, he's giving away half of his goods. What has happened to Zacchaeus? Jesus has happened to Zacchaeus. And then he says this. He says, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, why do you suppose fraud pops into his mind right about now? You think he's going down a list of possible sins, just making sure he's checking everything off? There's no if. Zacchaeus has defrauded people. He's confessing and he's making restitution far beyond what's expected. Now, Jesus sort of wraps this moment up with this statement that says, hey, today salvation has come to this house. See, Zacchaeus is not the same man he was yesterday. Because Jesus Christ has stepped into his house, has stepped into his life. Zacchaeus is a transformed man. You see, wherever Jesus goes, salvation goes with him. And Jesus makes a pronouncement. He describes his mission. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, why did Jesus Christ become a man and enter space and time and live a life? And why is he going to the cross? Because he has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus Christ is on a search and rescue mission to seek and save. You see, Ezekiel told us that God the Father was the one who was going to seek and save. But now Jesus Christ, the Son, says, I am now going to seek and save. And so we see a a little bit of a shift in how things are going to uh, unfold. He mentions here that Zacchaeus is also a son of Abraham. Well, Zacchaeus has always been a biological son of Abraham because he's a Jew. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's become a spiritual son of Abraham because he now has stepped into the eternal Family of God. You see, going to the home of Zacchaeus was not really a distraction. It wasn't a detour. Zacchaeus and millions like him is the very reason that Jesus is going to the cross. How important are lost people to God? So important. That Jesus can stop whatever he's doing to connect with them, but then sacrificially go further to pay the price for their sins. Now, there's a couple of ways to respond to this message today. Uh, First of all, perhaps you are someone like Zacchaeus. Perhaps today, for some reason, something prompted you to be here. Well, this is the parade route, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ is passing through. Perhaps today is the day that salvation is actually coming to your house. And if that's you today, I would encourage you to speak with uh, with me or your pastor or one of the elders of the church after the service And we can talk about that. 
Another way to respond is this. If you've been in the church, if you've been in the faith for a while, the challenge that lies before us is to join Jesus on this search and rescue mission. God the Father originally was the one who would seek and save. Then God the Son became the one who would seek and save. And he has commissioned us to now go and make disciples. The Holy Spirit has now been poured out to seek and save through us. In other words, folks, it's our turn. It's our turn to step up. And if lost people are that important to God, shouldn't they be that important to us? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this encouraging word. Ask you to bless us in our efforts to serve you, to become part of that search and rescue mission. Uh, May we not rest as long as one of your children is missing. Uh, Give us the ability, the motivation, the stamina to see it through in the name of Jesus. Amen.